Great to see everybody here. Children, welcome to the grown-up meeting. It's great to have you with us. I remember as a child sitting, uh, sitting in the church. We didn't have rows like this. We had pews. But I remember listening to my dad sing loud. I remember listening to sermons by Dr. Richard Halverson as he proclaimed the gospel. There was much I didn't understand, but there was stuff I picked up along the way that still benefits me today. So children, welcome to the grown-up service. Uh, John and Sarah, thank you for your public testifying to the grace of God in your life. Thank you, yes. Thanks for having the courage to come up here to testify in front of all these people. That's, that's a little bit scary. And uh, so grateful for uh, the scores of you that have gotten baptized here in front of a large number of people. Your testimonies encourage us, and we remember every time our own baptism when we promise to follow Christ the rest of our lives. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Uh, this sermon is not part of a series. Uh, several weeks ago, uh, Jared sent me an email and asked if I would consider preaching on this date. He said it's a one-off sermon, uh, not part of a series. He said it'd be great if you could preach from one of the narrative uh, texts in the, in the Bible or perhaps one of the parables. So it seemed as if the Holy Spirit directed me to Matthew chapter 25. Hopefully you're finding your way there. And it's the parable of the ten virgins. The parable of the ten virgins. Uh, Nick Kidwell mentioned in the video there that, uh, that part of the role of a pastor is to warn and encourage and this sermon is a bit of a warning. So let me warn you that a warning is coming. Uh, so brace yourself a little bit. Let's read Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, the parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, 
And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I remind you that these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. In an article uh, published just a couple months ago, a month and a half ago, June of this year, a pastor named Greg Morse, who serves at a church in St. Paul, Minnesota, wrote the following. Mr. A is a member of the church. He was baptized years ago, still professes faith, and shows up routinely on Sundays. While he isn't known for possessing much love to Jesus or much zeal for spiritual things, Neither is he known for being an open sinner. He's nice enough. He serves from time to time and doesn't avoid getting into conversation on his way out the door. He struggles with his set of sins, but who doesn't? While he sits in the same pew every week, truthfully, not many would notice if he left. He's not exactly a model of a hearty believer. Is he growing in holiness? You can't really tell. Is he increasing in his knowledge of Christ? Hard to say. Does he really love the brethren? Well, exactly what do you mean? Does he warm at the love of God or delight in the Lord Jesus? Perhaps. You've attended church with this person, maybe over, overlapped in a small group with him. But for all of that, his heart for his Lord hasn't surfaced much. The years pass. He raises a family. His daughter sings in the children's choir. His wife occasionally cooks meals for church gatherings. He never commits grave immorality. He never promotes heresy. Over the years, I have been gravely concerned for this type of man. And listen to what he says. He says, I tremble at how many men and women follow the gentle slope of religious duty and even church membership peacefully into hell. Well, Jesus is talking about eternal judgment in this whole section. This is part of the Olivet Discourse. Jesus taught this from the Mount of Olives. He was teaching about the signs of his return. He's emphasizing the fact that no one knows the day or the hour, but we must be ready. If your Bibles are open, you can see up in chapter 24, verse 44, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He talks about the faithful servant. His master returns and commends him for being faithful. He talks about the wicked servant. 
His master is delayed. He begins to beat his fellow servants. He's getting drunk with drunkards. And it says that the Lord, his master, will put him in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. John Piper in his book, What is Saving Faith, says, the longer I live and the closer I come to heaven, the more troubling it is that so many people identify as Christians but give so little evidence of being truly Christian. My sadness grows when I consider that there may be millions of people who think themselves, who think of themselves as heaven-bound, hell-escaping Christians who are not. People for whom Christ is at the margins of their thoughts and affections, not at the transforming center. People who will hear Jesus say at the judgment, I never knew you, depart from me. Jonathan Edwards in his sermon on this parable said, even in the most pure churches where the doctrines of the gospel are preached in their greatest purity and delivered in the most powerful and convincing manner, and vital religion is in the most flourishing circumstances, there will be some false professors mixed in, people who profess Christ falsely. He says, if Judas was among the twelve, it should not surprise us to find it so. This parable is a call. It's, it's, it's a call to make sure that we are prepared for Jesus' return because if we aren't, though we may plead with the Lord on that day to open the door, we will not be permitted into the kingdom of heaven. R.C. Sproul calls this either the first or the second scariest passage in the New Testament. This is a call to be watchful with our lives, to be ready, and it's urgent. It's an urgent call. It's not something that we can or should put off because we do not know the day or the hour of his return. Jesus says again and again, it will be when you don't expect So let's proceed verse by verse through this parable. I've decided to take this approach rather than have three or four points. Let's just go verse by verse through it and consider what Jesus is saying here. This parable is about the kingdom of heaven. Notice in the first verse, then the kingdom of heaven. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like. That's will be. That's future tense. Jesus is speaking about the future. Though the kingdom of heaven has been inaugurated already in the first coming of Christ, it will be consummated at his second coming. So Jesus here speaks of what will surely come to pass in the future. The kingdom of heaven will be like. Like what? Like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, in our day, when people get married, the bride walks down the aisle to meet the groom who waits for her at the front. 
Well, in Jesus' day, weddings were different. They had different customs than we do. The groom wouldn't wait for the bride to come. The bride would wait for the groom to come. The groom would ride in a joyous processional down the main street of the village or the town in the dark of night, and remember, no electricity, it was dark, escorted by bridesmaids who carried lamps or torches while the bride waited in the house. Our weddings today focus attention on the bride. She is the one most celebrated. Her processional with her bridesmaids leading the way, her appearance at the back of the church, everyone stands, her stately and dignified walk down the aisle in full bridal regalia provides the drama and the spectacle of today's weddings. When I was young, the church organist would play Wagner's dramatic and majestic wedding march, Here Comes the Bride. I don't think people do that much anymore. But in Jesus' day, it was not the bride who was the focal point. It was the bridegroom. The bridegroom was the center of attention. So it was more like, here comes the bridegroom, rather than here comes the bride. His processional through the streets of the town in the dark of night, led by torchlight, provided real drama and spectacle. I found an illustration that depicts this by Swiss artist Eugene Bernand, who who passed away about 100 years ago. Let's, let's put that image up if we can. Do we have that image? Yes, excellent. Notice that the bridegroom is the center of attention. He's the focal point of this painting. Notice the bridesmaids doing their job. They're illuminating the bridegroom and lighting the way. You can keep that up there for a few more moments. So the kingdom of heaven in the future will be like ten virgins or bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. That's good. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. That We're up to verse 2 now. Five were foolish and five were wise. Now interpreting... Whenever we interpret any parable, it's important to focus on the main point of the parable and not try to extract meaning from every detail in the stories. There are a lot of details here that we're just not going to address because what matters in the parable is the main point. So, for example, we can't conclude from the fact that half the virgins were foolish that therefore half of all those who profess Christ will not gain entrance into the wedding feast. We're not meant to extract exact percentages out of the parable. On the other hand, Jesus makes it explicitly clear that many who profess Christ, many who profess Christ will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven 
On that day, oh, hear this. On that day, many, not a few, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many who fully expected to enter the kingdom of heaven, people who went to church, people who gave prophecies, people who did works in his name, people who called him Lord, will hear him say with utter and eternal finality, I never knew you. Depart from me. What a horrifying moment that will be for the many. And the main point of this parable is a warning to watch, to make sure, to make sure you're not one of the many. So five were foolish and five were wise. Well, verse 3, when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. All the virgins took lamps. They all had lamps. It's not clear here if the word lamps means torches, as we saw in the drawing, or if the lamps were the very common smaller lamps that were fueled with olive oil. But it's not an important detail. What is an important detail is that the foolish took no extra oil. They just went with what was, whatever was in the lamp. The foolish virgins were half prepared. They brought lamps, but no oil. Their job was to provide light when the bridegroom arrived. If their lamps could produce no light, if their lamps were empty, what good were they? Having a lamp is not enough. Waiting for the bridegroom with a good lamp, with a great lamp, is not enough. Being among the other virgins who have lamps and oil is not enough. What matters is providing a bright light when the bridegroom arrives, and the foolish took no oil with them. But we're told the wise, verse 3, took flasks of oil with their lamps. For them to be ready for the bridegroom's return, to, to be ready to honor him in the grand processional to the feast, to ensure themselves entrance into the kingdom of heaven, that was important enough to fill flasks with oil. To be ready was worth whatever time might be required to get plenty of oil, whatever effort might be needed to get plenty of oil, whatever sacrifices had to be made to get plenty of oil. I don't know what excuses the foolish virgins had. Well, you know, oil's expensive, or it's a little too far to go to get it. Or I don't have the time. 
That was not the attitude of the wise. Whatever it took, they were going to make sure they had enough oil. These wise virgins checked and double-checked to make sure they had enough. They made sure their lamps would not go out. They made sure they were fully prepared for the bridegroom's coming. And I see I'm missing page 7, which is a disaster. <laughs> Wing it. Well, let's wing it. It is in my heart. Let me, let me just say this. Well, I've done page six. They checked and double checks, checked. Now, what happens is, if we read it, we get up to verse seven. Yeah. Verse 4, the wise took flasks of oil. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Now, this is not the kind of sleep that we see elsewhere in the New Testament that is, that is a sinful negligence. This is just a sleep that comes because the bridegroom is delayed. The wise and the foolish both slept. They slept because the bridegroom was delayed. But at midnight, there was a cry. At midnight, there was a cry. The bridegroom has arrived. The bridegroom is here. This is the moment. This is the moment that they had been waiting for. This was the moment that they had prepared for. This was what, this was the moment of the great drama in the wedding feast. But the foolish virgin realized at that moment that there was a huge problem. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. They realized that their lamps were out of oil. How could they do what they were supposed to do? The wedding processional was about to begin, and they had no oil. So in a panic, they begged the wise virgins to share their oil. Please share your oil with us. But the wise virgins couldn't do that. They couldn't share the oil. Because if they took what oil they had and gave it, to the foolish virgins, all the lights could go out before the processional reached the house. The, the glory of the bridegroom was at stake. Now, that's not really the point. The point is that this oil cannot be shared. This oil cannot be shared. I read a sermon online in preparation for this. The outline or the, the title of the sermon, a little bit in your face, the, the pastor called the sermon, Get Your Own Oil. <laughs> Get Your Own Oil. 
listen, brothers and sisters, listen, listen, young men and young women, listen, boys and girls, this oil cannot be shared. You need to get your own oil. When the bridegroom comes, when Christ returns, you won't be able to get any oil from your parents. Mom, Dad, give me some oil. You won't be able to get any oil from your parents. You won't be able to get any oil from your Christian friends. You won't be able to get any oil from your pastors. You must get your own oil before he comes or you will be denied access into the kingdom of heaven. So the oil is critically important. So the big question in studying this parable is what is the oil? Like if, you know, if it's, an, it's, if it's a matter of life and death having the oil, what is it? What's the oil? Well, some people, I read a lot of sermons on this. Some people say it's the Holy Spirit, which is very logical because the Holy Spirit is likened unto oil many places in the Bible. Other people say it's grace. That oil is grace. Other people say that oil is faith. Well, I say it's all three. <laughs> Having an abundant supply of oil means that you have in your daily walk the saving, sustaining, persevering presence and activity of the Holy Spirit. Having an abundant supply of oil means that you have in your daily life the saving, sustaining, persevering grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having an abundant supply of oil means that you have in your daily life a saving, sustaining faith in the gospel that overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. You can have more faith or less faith. More grace, less grace. More of the Spirit, less of the Spirit. You can have more or less of the Holy Spirit in your life. You want more. Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you were filled with the Holy Spirit? You can have more or less grace at work in your life. You want more. May grace abound to you, Paul prayed, more and more. Are you regularly experiencing God's gracious activity in your life? You can have faith more or less. You can have no faith, you can have weak faith, or you can have great faith. You want great faith. Your parents, your friends can't give you the Holy Spirit. Your parents and your friends and your pastors can't give you God's grace. We can proclaim it, we can declare it, but we can't give it. And your parents and your friends can't give you faith. You must seek those things now. You must find those things now. You must get them now. You have to get your own oil. Now, some of you might say, hey, I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid, Mr. Patton. I'm too young to have the Holy Spirit. No, you're not. You're not too young. 
How young was Samuel when the Lord called him? You might say, I'm too young to have abundant grace from God. No, you're not. How young was David? As a boy, he was called a man after God's own heart. You might say, I'm too young to have great faith. No, you're not. You're not too young. How young was the little peasant girl, Mary, when she believed the angel? You're not too young. I remember, this isn't in my notes, I remember as a boy, I'd heard the gospel, I'd been to Sunday school, I'd heard preaching. One night I became very worried that I might go to hell. That was the Lord settling over my heart that night. I was in the bottom bunk. My brother was in the top bunk, and I, I didn't know what to do. I, knew, I had learned a little chorus in church, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I sang that over and over and over and over again, and I fell asleep with assurance. that I would be with him. I was a boy. I was, I was second or third grade. You're not too young. You're not too young. Well, verse 10, while the foolish virgins were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Here the foolish virgins are trying to do now what they should have done before the bridegroom came. They're going to buy. Those who were ready went in with the bridegroom. But then, this is so sad, the door was shut. This is terrible. This is terrible, really. The door was shut. It's like the closing of the door to Noah's Ark. All hope of salvation was lost with the closing of that door. And afterwards, verse 11, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. The tragic and sober reality is that the Lord will not open the door to foolish virgins who were unprepared for His coming. This is exactly what the kingdom of God will be like in the future. Those who did not have the oil of the Holy Spirit, those who did not have the oil of preserving grace, will not gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. They'll cry out, Lord, open to us. But the door will be closed. The door to the kingdom, the door to the marriage feast, the door to eternal happiness will be forever closed. 
And, and, and as if to cut off all further hope, the bridegroom says with absolute finality, truly, I say to you, this, in other words, I mean this, hear me, truly, I say to you, I know you not. Reminds me of 2 Timothy 2.19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows them that are His. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. May I ask you, men and, and women, boys and girls, do you know Him? Perhaps more importantly, does He know you? Have you opened your heart and your life to Him? Is Christ someone you know about? Or is Christ someone you know? Are you His disciple? Do you walk with Him day by day, hour by hour? Do you commune with Him? Are you often in His presence? Do you depend daily upon His grace? Is He at the edges of your life? Or is He at the transforming center of your life? Is He your greatest treasure? If you're worried that you might be like the foolish virgins, can I encourage you? Look to Christ. He will pour upon you the oil of His Spirit if you ask Him for it. Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. He will not say no. Are you worried that your lamp might be going out? Look to Christ. For from His fullness we have received grace upon grace, kindness upon kindness. Ask Him for that grace. Jesus said, I don't know you. Well, how do you get to know Him? You approach Him with your need and you ask Him for mercy. Are you worried that your faith is giving out? Look to Christ. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. Ask the Lord to help you in your unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Matthew chapter 7. Let me invite the band to come up. The well-known children's song based on this parable is actually a prayer. It's actually a prayer. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep it burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. The chorus of that children's song is sing Hosanna, sing Hosanna. And that recalls a different processional when the bridegroom came into Jerusalem, not to be welcomed as the bridegroom, but to die on a cross to save us 
that we might gain entrance into that wedding feast, into the eternal glories of the kingdom of heaven. He was greeted in that processional not with waving torches, but with waving palm branches and cries of Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us. Lord, save us now. And he did save us. For those he has saved, to those who know him and love him, to those who live to glorify him, receive these comforting and assuring words from Jesus Christ. Fear not, little flock. Fear not. For it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. Don't be afraid. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And Jesus has made the way. By the grace of God seen in the gospel, I trust that the kingdom of heaven will be yours and mine forever. Until that day, let us pray. Oh Lord, give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Amen.